How are you all this morning? Doing well? Rejoicing in the Lord who has saved you? Redeemed you? I have it on. thought I did. It's on. You got it? Okay, he's got it. Turn with me, please, to James chapter 1, please. We're going to continue our look at the uh, epistle of James. I was thinking while I was sitting there, and that's probably a good thing to do, think. What I was thinking of all of you, and some of you that I've known for for many, many years, and others that are new to me, but... uh, I was just thanking the Lord while I was sitting there, thanking, that, thanking the Lord that you, you love us. <laughs> That's been such a blessing to us over all the many years to just know of the love of the people of Brantford Bible Chapel for Joyce and I. Through all the hard times we've gone through, all the things that we've seen the Lord work over the years, it's just wonderful to know that we have you praying for us and have you loving us. And we're just so, so very thankful for all of you. James, please. And we're going to begin reading this morning where James left off last week at verse 21. And it reads like this, chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize once again that we are so dependent upon thy spirit when we handle your word. And so we ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would use the words from your word to penetrate our hearts and to encourage us and challenge us in whatever it is that your spirit desires to do with the words this morning. We commit it into thy care, asking for your help and guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, do you remember, and some of you will remember this, perhaps all of you will remember this, but do you remember, and I recall as a young boy, and it's good that I still have memories of when I was a young boy, but we used to have radios. 
And you'd take the radio and you'd get it tuned into a station. But then there was always these other frequencies that were trying to overtake that one frequency that you wanted to be on, that channel that you wanted to lock in on in order to hear it clearly. And so you'd have a little, re- you'd have a little fine-tune button and you would turn that fine-tune button until it locked in and you could hear the sound clearly. That became rather difficult while you were driving, but nevertheless, we would do it. And you would drive a few miles down the road, and again, you would have to fine-tune it again because you'd move out of where the sound was coming from, and you had to adjust it again in order to get clarity of sound. My question, I suppose, to start with this morning, and there will be several, my question is, how well do we listen? How well do we listen? Because there is a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? I mean, I'm in this room now and I can hear everything that is going on around. I can hear cars going by. I can hear the little gurgle of a child. I can hear sounds that are going on within the room. I'm hearing all of these things. But it's only when I concentrate on them that I'm really listening to them. It's only when I'm... Because I can begin to block out things, can't I? We can block out all the noise that we are hearing continuously. For example, when you're, you're walking around in a, in a grocery store and there's music playing in the background, we can kind of ignore the music in the background and really not really pay much attention to it until something comes on that you recognize. The other day it happened to me when we were in Price Chopper. We're walking around the store and we're just doing some shopping and all of a sudden, Wooly Bully came on the radio. And all of a sudden, my mind locked right into it. And for several moments, I was singing Wooly Bully. Now, that was really, really helpful to my spiritual walk. But I saw a lady in the store, and I, told, I said to her, you'll be singing Wooly Bully all day. She said, yep. Yeah. Because we are able to take what we are hearing, and all of a sudden it became clearly, sharply focused, and we became locked in. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Noise is everywhere. And you can't escape the noise. And sometimes we contribute to the noise. Young people a lot today, as it was back in my generation, I suppose, cannot go anywhere without tunes. You can't go anywhere without something stuck in their ear. You go into an elevator, there's music. You go into a store, there's music. Wherever you go, there's noise. Everywhere around us, there's noise. Critical, critical listening has become a skill that has been mostly lost. Critical listening is a skill that has been lost in many. Critical listening is that form of listening that is usually not mentioned, usually not spoken about, since it involves analysis, critical thinking, And judgment. Making judgments while listening to someone is considered rude in today's culture. 
You were already thinking about what you were going to answer me even before I finished my sentence, weren't you? We are taught to think therapeutically. We are thought, we are taught to teach with empathy and sympathy to respond emotionally instead of analytically. To really hear and listen to what someone is saying. Critical listening occurs when you want to understand what the person is saying. Now, some of you this morning are critically listening to me. Others of you are hearing me. And it's very easy for our minds to wander. But at the same time, we have to have reason and responsibility to evaluate what is being said to you and how it is being said. Critical listening skill goes far beyond the speaker's message. Far beyond the things you hear, they involve analyzing the information in a message. Analyzing the information in a lecture. And making important decisions regarding truth, authenticity, relevance. You better have those kind of skills when you sit in a lecture at college or at the university where you're sitting in a room with a hundred or more kids, thousand kids sometimes in some of these classrooms, and you're listening to a lecture from an instructor, a professor, you better develop analytical skills or you're going to be lost in that class real quick. But how about when we come and listen to the Word of God? How about when we come and listen to the Word of God? We listen We gather information. We store that information. When we hear the Word of God taught, when we hear the Gospel being taught in a home study or on a Sunday morning, how is it that we listen? How is it that we listen? Are we fact-gatherers? Are we fact-gatherers? We love to store up all kinds of facts in our minds about the Bible so that we can speak those facts. That's an important thing, isn't it? It's an important thing to to have the facts and the truths of the Word of God in our minds. Is that how we listen? Are we listening to be stirred emotionally, waiting for that one line, that one phrase in the message of the speaker that's going to touch my soul and stir me emotionally? And that's what I'm waiting for. And if I don't get that, I'm disappointed and I walk out as if I didn't get anything today because I wasn't stirred emotionally. Are we critical listeners? Analyzing the information you hear with a responsibility to evaluate what was said. We are critical listeners. Not in the sense that we want to criticize the speaker later on. Please, Don't misunderstand me. I'm not looking for you to come up later and criticize me. But we are able to analyze the information that we receive. Analyze it. Have a heart that desires to understand and comprehend what is being said. A desire to listen, evaluate, and appropriate the Word of God to our lives. Not simply to hear it. 
Not simply to listen to it, but then to take it and appropriate it, apply it to our lives. What kind of listeners are we? Now, reading, of course, is a form of listening, isn't it? We don't, all, don't often think of it that way, but it is. Reading is a form of listening. You're reading a book, and in the reading of the words, your mind is either hearing or it's listening. How many times have you read through a portion of the Word of God and all you were doing was hearing it and you didn't listen to it? You heard the words as your mind read them, but by the time you got four or five verses away, you forgot what you heard. I read somewhere, someone was saying, saying how important it is that reading, I think I saw it somewhere, that reading the Word of God isn't like a sprint where you're trying to get through five chapters today as quickly as you can because you've got other things to do, but it's to be taken slowly and methodically, listening to what you're reading. Because the Spirit of God is going to take His words and He's going to apply His words to your heart if you are critically thinking, critically listening to what He wants to say. We call it reading comprehension. How much do you comprehend of the Word of God when you read it? It's very easy in our busy lives to read the Word of God casually, out of a sense of duty, as it were, or even out of a sense of guilt sometimes, without being the least bit affected by what we read, because we're not listening. We're not listening. We're hearing. Sometimes we're hearing, subconsciously we're hearing. We need not rush. Read to comprehend. Read to absorb. Read with a desire to obey what the Lord gives to you. Our portion that we read this morning begins with that little word, therefore. Therefore. It's a transitional word. It's a word that makes you, cause you to look back on what has already preceded this teaching. And what will follow after is a result of what has taken, what he has already taught us in the verses that preceded. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time there because you've already been studying those things. The, the transitional verse is verse 16. Because the verse 16 leads us from one section into the next section. Leads us from the trials and temptations that oftentimes will flow out of the trials and we'll look at that perhaps in, a, in just a moment, into recognition of the goodness of God. There are trials. Sometimes because of the bent of our personality, the bent of our nature, those trials can turn into temptation. The temptation to lash out. The temptation to be angry. A trial comes into your life. A hardship comes into your life. Physical, financial, whatever it might be. It comes into your life. And instead of looking and remembering the goodness of God, we lash out in anger. 
Why? Why, God, are you doing this to me? And we forget the goodness of God. So we have this little transitional verse that is here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be fooled. Don't be led astray. It points backwards to what he's just written and forward to what he will write. He looks back to the trials and temptations, which often, as I said, flow out of those trials, and how God allows trials in our lives, but temptation are the result of our own natures and how we respond sometimes. This trial is designed for your good. This trial is designed for your good because it is a good God who allowed it. He is a good God who allowed it into your life. And He means good by it. Do you believe that? I mean, do you honestly, in the gut, believe that? That He is a good God. He's not out to try and destroy you. He's not out to try and, as your people, make your life miserable. He's not sitting in heaven as a sovereign God and say, whose life can I make miserable today? He's a good God. He's a good God. So we have that transition. He looks backwards. He looks forward. One has said, show me a Christian who faces very few trials, and I will show you a Christian that is Immature. That's true. Head knowledge alone will not make a mature believer. Filling your head with knowledge will not make you a mature believer. Knowledge is wonderful. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is profitable. To get to know the only true God. Theory will not bring maturity. And I'll mark this, and I've said it before here, but mark this. Theory will not bring Christian maturity. And God will not allow you to remain a theorist. He will come in and He will touch your life in order that you may appropriate His faithfulness and His goodness into your life in all the difficult situations of our lives. Because He is good. He's good. Let me say that one more time. He's good. We need to believe that. We need to receive that. Trials will make us mature in our lives if we endure. And it's a lifelong work. Is a day-to-day experience with the living God. With the God of glory. And the end result to which all of these trials are pointing is to receive the crown of life. That crowning of our lives. The ultimate crowning resurrection life that we will receive. As those who have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. The path toward Christian maturity and the crowning life may not be a course that we have chosen. We love pie in the sky. 
And as we were discussing earlier, we're all heading down the same road. We all will have different experiences and different challenges. Some of them will be similar, but we're all heading down the road. And one day we'll all be, if the Lord spares and does not come again, we'll all be where my father-in-law is now. Ninety-three hospice waiting to go home. And can we say, glorious day, glorious day. For on that day that I close my eyes, I will open them in glory and I will be with him forever. Glorious day. My heart over the last few weeks in Joyce will will confirm this, I think. There's been a song that's gone over in my heart over and over again. And it's a little song we don't sing anymore. I don't even think it's in any of our hymn books, but it's called Beulah Land. And it talks about how my heart is yearning for Beulah Land to be done with all the trials and all the hardship, all the temptation that so faces us, to be one day rid of it and freed of it and to sin no more and not even be able to sin. Oh, my brothers and sisters, are you looking forward to Beulah Land? Oh, a day when we'll be married to our Savior. Be not deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And when you feel abandoned and you feel crushed, do not forget God's goodness. When we struggle under trials, do not forget God's goodness. Faith will learn to recognize the source of all good things. And it recognizes the changeless character of God who gives them. He has not changed, as James told us last week and we saw again. He doesn't change. He's as good today as He's always been. He's not going to change. Oh, I'm glad I turned my life over to Him. Oh, I'm glad I rested in Him and not in my own ability to perform. Because if I rested in my own ability to perform, I would be one sorry case. But He has saved me. He has saved me from my sin. He has saved me. Faith will learn to recognize the source of all good things and recognize the changeless character of the God who gives them, as James shared last week. At the same time, faith produced by the Spirit of God within the life will also, through the trials, learn the sovereignty of God and rest in His sovereignty. Rest in who He is. These good gifts and these perfect gifts come down to us from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow caused by His turning. He is the God who does not and will not change. And our Lord Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We sing of this great truth often. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Four people are glad. I'm wonderful. I'm so thankful. 
of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth. Of His own will that we might be a kind of first fruit of His creation. And the phrase, word of truth, I think it's five times, maybe six times, I think it's five times it's found in the New Testament. And every time, save one, is speaking of the Gospel that saves. It's speaking of the Gospel that saves. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you are sealed with Him, in Him through the Holy Spirit of promise. The demonstration of the fact that God is good is found in the cross. It's found in the cross. It's found in the gospel. The word of truth. If you want to anchor your soul in the goodness of God, return to the foot of the cross and look up of His own good pleasure, of His own will, which demonstrates to us the fact that that God's essential nature is good, not evil, not induced by external causes, that His sovereign plan has brought us forth to be a first fruit of His creation. It was out of His goodness and His grace and His mercy because of His great love with which He loved us that He saved us. Since these things are true, and we know they are, and since we have responded to Him and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, We have been saved. And it wasn't just for a few moments. It was forever. The word of truth, the gospel of His salvation has saved us. It has delivered us. And since we have seen and understood that we have been saved, since we understand that God is good, that God does not change, do not let the trials and the temptations that sometimes come from our, from our nature, our old nature, do not let those things bring about wrath, but let them produce righteous behavior in our lives. Let them produce righteous behavior in our lives. Our response to these truths is a, a laying aside of filthiness and overflow of wickedness. A laying aside of those things which are unapproved by God. And what gives you the intention to understand that it is filthiness and should not be followed and, and should not be sinned? We should not sin. The Spirit of God who dwells in us. I guarantee you, and that's pretty strong language, but I think it's true. I guarantee you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if a time of temptation came, regardless of what it stemmed from, I bet anything, at the beginning of that time of temptation, as we learned from James last week, at the beginning of that time, a red flag went up in your mind, in your heart, and said, this ought not to be right, this ought not to be done, this ought not to be followed, because the Spirit of God prompts you. And we ignore And we are entrapped. 
because of ourselves. Put aside these things and welcome, he says, welcome the implanted word. Welcome the gospel that has saved you and continues to save you. The good news continues to save you. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. He has changed you by the implanted word that He has placed within us. The implanted word. The word of truth. It is engrafted in you. That's one of the ways you can translate that. The implanted word. The engrafted word. Gospel that has has been taken in and has become a part of who you are. You are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. And the Word of God abides in you. The Word of truth, the Gospel, is able to deliver you from damnation and from day-to-day trials and temptation. It is able. Is God able to deliver you Day by day. Uh, indeed He is. Sometimes we speak, as, as preachers often will, and I'm guilty of this as well, we, we say all of these things, we, we preach all of these things, as if they're simple to do. They're not simple to do. Oftentimes it's very hard. But oftentimes it's hard because we make it hard. By our stubborn wills, our stubborn minds, and a failure to yield ourselves to God who will deliver you. Because we want what we want. But be assured of this. The implanted word that is in you, the gospel of Christ that is in you, is able to to deliver your souls. He's not speaking about deliverance from, from sin in an initial time when we receive Christ. He's talking about day by day by day He's able to deliver you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who is in you. He's working. He'll save you. He'll deliver you. The word of truth is able to deliver. The point being made, and I suppose this goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. When you hear biblical instruction, do not merely hear it. Listen to it and act on it. Listen to it and act on it. For God is good and His word is Good. Faith obeys the word. Not enough just to hear it. Faith produces doers of the word. Now the word, when we get down here, where he says, be doers of the word. 
in verse 22. There's your, there's your uh, first imperative here. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word. Now, when he uses the word hearer in this particular context, not that I'm saying that this is the meaning of the word, but this is the way it was sometimes and oftentimes used in extra-biblical, classical um, usage, is a hearer was one who a hearer was one who listened to things being taught, but he was not a disciple of the one who taught them. And what do I mean by that? It's kind of like today. And the best example I could think of was auditing a class at the university. You go in and you audit the class. You hear all the lectures. You may even listen to the lectures. And what is your purpose? Your purpose is to gain information, to gain knowledge. But I'll tell you one thing. You're not responsible for the quizzes. You're not responsible for the tests. You're not responsible for the papers that may be. All you're doing is auditing. You're listening to it, but you're not responsible for any of it. My brothers and sisters, when you read the Word of God, you're responsible for it. You're responsible for it. You're responsible for what you read. I had a young man, and Andrea and Joe would remember him, and I'm not going to mention his name. Years ago when Branford was first starting, we were having Bible studies in Joe and Andrea's, and we were having studies at different places, and uh, one guy came to know the Lord, he loved the Lord, and, and uh, he was... He came to me one day and he said, Ken, I don't want to read the Word of God anymore. I said, well, why? He said, because every time I read it, I get convicted. And every time I read it, there's more I have to be responsible for. And I don't want to be responsible. Yeah, we, we kind of chuckle at that. And we, but think about that. Think about that. He understood, didn't he? He understood that when I see this, I'm responsible before God for it. Of course, there's the learning of the Spirit of God that yet that dwells within us, that, in, that enables us and gives us the strength and the ability in order to do these things. But at his point in life, as a young believer, it was, I don't want to be responsible. He got it. He understood. We're responsible. And we need to be responsible hearers. But God is good. Don't forget that. He's teaching you as His children because He loves you. And He's good. He's good. When you hear the Word of God taught, when you hear the proclamations of the Gospel spoken, do not merely hear it. Listen to it. That same gospel that saved us is working in us to transform us. He is at work in you and me. He is continuing to change us. He's continuing to shape us. He's continuing to mold us into His blessed image. The Word that is implanted in you and implanted in I is growing and bearing fruit. And it is able to deliver you. Are you listening? Are you listening? What a good God. What a good God. When we come to the trials of life, 
When we lose a mate, we suffer financial hardship. We discover the unfaithfulness of one whom, whom we trusted. Our children walk away. We face deep disappointment in various ways for various causes. And sometimes, just sometimes, instead of seeing ourselves in Christ, instead of recognizing our position in Him, which does not change, instead of recognizing the sovereignty of God and His goodness and the fact that we are now His and He is mine, we try to justify ourselves all over again. As James was pointing out last week, we try to justify ourselves all over again. Prove ourselves in these circumstances of life. And that is precisely where we need to turn back to the cross. That is precisely where we need to hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and trust in the living God. And when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And He knows all. Go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. When you fail, when you fall, and when you stumble, and you disobey, go back to the cross. There's forgiveness for you. Always. As I said earlier, God, God is, I don't believe God is in heaven with a baseball bat waiting to clobber you. I think He loves you. And He wants you to walk in ways that are pleasing unto Him. He wants to give you all the help and has given you all the help you need to succeed in His Son. Let me ask you this simple question. Is there one greater in power than the Spirit of God who indwells you? We used to sing a little song when I was in Sunday school. And we all still sing it. He's able. He's able. I know He is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Do you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. doesn't mean I fail, haven't failed. doesn't mean I haven't stumbled and fell flat on my face many times. doesn't mean that, that I haven't made mistakes. It doesn't mean that, I, that I'm a, a, you know, an absolute failure. But every time I hear His voice, the million, billion failures are gone. Because he's good. Because he's good. We don't have to justify our behavior over and over again. We don't have to justify the things that we do wrong. We don't have to find excuses for the things we do wrong. We have to turn to God and say, Lord, I'm wrong. Forgive me. And your fellowship with him goes on. Oh, that's wonderful stuff, boy. That's wonderful stuff. He'll deliver you. That word that's implanted in you can save you, can deliver you in the midst of trial, deliver you from temptation. It changes you. Let it have its perfect work in you. And they're hard to do because it means breaking our own will and yielding to His. Don't be one who simply hears the Word. Be one that allows it to be engrafted in your life and you do the things that it says out of obedience to the Lord that loves you and to a Lord that you have come to love. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? Now, we have said oftentimes to one another, 
I do not know how unbelievers face the challenges of life without Christ. Right? And it's very true. Yet sometimes we live and act as if we are the same. Not never be. Hearing the gospel, listening to the word taught, yet like a man who looks in the mirror, he sees himself and he goes away and he forgets what kind of man he is. One has well said, and I quote, there are those who can never speak of religious truth without emotion. And yet through their, though their knowledge has so much fervor as to make them weep, it has not the power to make them deny a lust. Ah. Two types of hearers. One hears the word. Both of them hear the word. Both accept the word. Both are seen, see pictures of themselves in the word. The first man turns away. And let me say the knowledge of the word of God is great and wonderful. It's a great and wonderful gift. To know the truth of the gospel, the word of truth is a tremendous blessing. It's an awesome blessing. It's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility. This word, read and digested and taken by the Holy Spirit and applied to the mind and will of man, makes a man partaker of the mind of God. It consumes him and divulges to him the eternal will and reveals to him the royal law of God's kingdom. Are you listening to the word? Are you listening to... John tries to give me lots of time. Doesn't mean I always get stuff in in the time he allots me. But there's one who looks into the perfect law of liberty. He looks into that instruction that brings about freedom. He looks about into that principle that brings about freedom. And he continues in it. And here we have a different word for observing. He says he looks into the perfect law of liberty. The other one was, remember, he looks like he's listening, he's auditing, he's hearing all this stuff, but he has no responsibility to it. This word means that as a man, and you can look it up, he's an individual who looks at things, he stoops down at things, he examines them closely, he looks into them and he examines everything very closely and very carefully. He who looks into the law, the instruction that brings about freedom... Freedom from temptation. Freedom from the sin of this world. Freedom from all of these things that hold us in bondage, even though we've been broken free from bondage. Does that make sense? Sometimes my mouth speaks things and I think, that didn't sound right, but I think it was right. He observes. He looks at all the details. He's not auditing. His eyes are not... Divert it to other things. He's carefully listening. He becomes one who prepared for the trial. One who is prepared for the temptation. He becomes one who will not learn to lash out in anger and in frustration. He will patiently endure, looking to the giver of all good and perfect gifts. He is the one 
who continually looking into the perfect law of freedom, seeking to understand its nature, to feel its power. He is one that is captured, as it were, by the Word of God, by the Gospel, and inspired by the Word that delivers. And it is a matter of now submitting to the authority of God. The authority of His good Word. There's that song, Make me a captive, and free I will be. (laughs) Make me a captive. Take my sword, and conqueror I'll be. We need to be those who have laid down our lives at the feet of the Savior, captured, as it were, by the Gospel. Now, I'm going to end there this morning. This is predetermined. Next week we're going to look at favoritism. But there is yet one more thing here in in this portion of a man and the mirror that I want to bring out at the beginning of next week. One more part that I want to bring out about the man and the mirrors. One man sees it, walks away. He's like the seed that fell on the, the rocky ground or on the hard ground. doesn't bear anything. He was a hearer. He didn't listen. He didn't listen. The other one, the other one carefully looked in. And when the weeds started to grow, he got rid of the weeds. When it wasn't growing like he wanted to grow, he nourished it. He took care of it. He fertilized it. He did everything he could by the direction and help of the Spirit of God in order that it might bear fruit for His glory. And we'll continue to look at these things next week and then we'll slide as it were because these things flow together into what it means to be one who shows favoritism. And you see how it slides in. I'll give you just that little ending thought, even though there are many who are thinking, please end. You've already said you are ending. He is a changeless God. He is a changeless God. He does not show favoritism. Never has. Never will. To his people. Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. We're so thankful for the gospel that has saved our souls. We're so thankful for the gospel that leads us day in and day out. May we be those who listen to you. Listen to your word. And allow your spirit to work in our lives for your glory and for your honor, for your praise. And so, Father, help us to listen. Help us to listen. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.